Hey everyone, this is Jim, and welcome back to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Well, thank God we made it through Hurricane Irma uh, without any real problems, um, except for the fact that we were that without power for about 11 days. Uh, my parents, who are uh, retired, living just about uh, 20 minutes away, north of me, they were only without power for maybe about 11, 12 hours, somewhere in there. Uh, we, on the other hand, down here in this county, uh, it was a, it, it was a long, um, it was a long time. I, I don't really think we've ever been without power for more than a few hours. Uh, I can't ever remember being without power for more than say maybe 10, 11 hours. Um, in my, I guess it's been like, let's see, I got here in 1993 so since then, I believe only maybe about 11 hours is the maximum with all the storms that have come through uh, during that time. And uh, fortunately, we were able to stay at a friend's house that was out of the country, and their power never went off there. Um, they had a backup generator in case it did, and uh, we stayed with some friends there and rode the storm. Well, we didn't ride the storm out there, but we rode out the uh, having no power until it was returned to our our homes. But anyway, I'm glad you're here today. Um, Again, this is the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. If you want more information, you can always go to the main website at faithtestedbyfire.com. You can sign up there and get updates every time a new podcast is released. I'm reading from the um, Gospel of Matthew. This is a familiar verse, especially if you've been in charismatic full gospel or Pentecostal churches. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 19. It says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So keys, of course, I mean, that's a figurative. I give you the keys, right? Give you the keys to the kingdom, meaning that keys are used to lock and unlock doors and Notice the word there. I wanted to point out, though, is whatsoever. Whatsoever thou. The word thou there in the Old English means you. I happen to be reading from the King James Version today. Uh, This particular Bible I got in 1986 as a birthday gift. And I've had it all these years. Um, I've actually got quite a few Bibles, but I have so many notes in this one that sometimes when I have all my notes in one place, I come right back to this Bible. So uh, uh, whatsoever. You know, we see... Words like whosoever and whatsoever quite a bit in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. For example, the Bible says in the New Testament, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you ask yourself, are there any restrictions in the whosoever? I mean, what, what is, who, who's left out by the word whosoever? So if the Bible uses like a word once, maybe you would think that okay, maybe there was a better word that could be used in that place, in that one particular context. I know some people, they get deep into controversies about what one particular scripture. But, you know, I notice that all the important truths, 
the truths that you're supposed to uh, take to heart, focus on, are mentioned over and over and over again, sometimes using the same words, sometimes using different words, but to get the point across. So the message of love is repeated over and over again all throughout the New Testament. And I'm not knocking the Old Testament, but the Bible itself says that the New Covenant is a better covenant or a better testament built upon better promises. It's a covenant that's not based on performance. It's based on a free gift, right? So the Bible says, for by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So sometimes people forget the that not of yourselves part of it, and they focus more on the faith or the grace. And in life, sometimes it seems that you need more of those things when you're in certain situations. So uh, the natural human response is when you need more of something is try to acquire it by your own efforts. But in the New Testament, the thing that we see over and over again is a message of grace. And grace means you, there's nothing you can do to earn it. You have to accept it as a gift. So going back to this verse again, the word bind and loose there, I've actually heard people pray using this literally, what, you know, binding and loosing things. And sometimes I've seen results and sometimes I haven't. But there is another translation of the word binding and loose. One is to declare lawful and one is to declare unlawful. So it gives the connotation there that whatever you allow on earth will be allowed in heaven and what you shall not allow or declare to be unlawful on earth shall be unlawful in heaven. So it seems that God set up a system that um, he does nothing without first um, working through or partnering with man. Now, I'm not saying that it's a 50-50 partnership or 70-30 or anything like that. I don't even want to get into that because I think that it's the, the spirit of the truth um, that's more important than the particular exacting logistics of it. For example, if, you've, if you knew that you were 50% responsible for your life and God was 50% responsible, in other words, it was half, it was an equal partnership, you would probably focus on, depending on your personality type, where you were missing it in your 50%. And then in your mind, you'd probably tell yourself, well, God's responsible for his, his half and, and, and everything's okay, but the problem's in my half and I can't fix my half. You see what I'm saying? We do that a lot. So <clears throat> people look at themselves and when the Bible talks about faith, they think, well, I don't have enough faith. You know, and, and they, they forget the, the part that says that it's not of yourself. So you go back and you read that verse, and it says, for by grace, Ephesians 2a, for by grace, uh, let me actually just turn there quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Oh, and Ephesians chapter 1. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. So somebody might break that down and say, well, the faith is yours. No, it isn't. Well, you know the grace isn't yours, but the faith isn't yours either. Well, what proof do you have of that? Isn't faith hearing something and choosing to believe it? Well, partially it is, but you know, remember that Jesus said that without me you can do nothing, and it also says that Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. In other words, he wrote it, and he completes it. It's an ongoing book as long as you're here on this earth. I, I 
really don't have any doubt that the, the faith principle even works in the heavenly world, which is another topic altogether. But um, as far as, as what we're doing here, the grace and the faith that we need to change things isn't of ourselves. And it, it comes to us from God. So that makes sense. So you can believe that. And, and, and let me tell you this. When you, when you find out what you need to do and you forget about uh, God's part in it, then it becomes a performance-based activity. So, for example, um, you find out that you should be praying, but you really don't want to pray because you have this preconceived idea of what it really means to officially be praying, right? Maybe you feel like, oh, I should be on my, my knees when I pray, or I'm not really 100% praying. Or maybe I need to be, um, you know, my head down into the ground. And see, that's all outward form. Because you know that, um, think about this. Think about uh, uh, when, when children get out of line. I remember times I was made to sit down, but I didn't want to sit down. And I might have been sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I was defiant and standing up. Maybe you can relate to that. Have you ever seen kids do that? Or you ever did it yourself when you were a kid? You did what you were told, but your heart was not in it. And if you were bigger and stronger and faster or whatever, you wouldn't have done it. Well, see, the whole Bible is based on the, on the principle of man's heart. So you can do a lot of outward things, but if your heart isn't in it, then it does not, it's not in God's, that's not pleasing in God's sight. What does it say? It says many will come to uh, Jesus in that day, in the day of judgment. Many will come to the Father and they'll say, Lord, we did all these wonderful things in your name. But he'll say to them, uh, depart from me, evildoers, because I never knew you. So, you know, you have people doing outward things. And that's, that's why judging a person is so difficult to do. Uh, because, number one, you, know, you can't always see their attitude. You can judge the fruit that a person's doing. In other words, you, the Bible says you judge a tree by its fruit. So you can, you can judge the actions of a person and say those actions are, are bad and that shouldn't be. But you don't know what's in the heart of the person. Maybe the person's actually searching. Maybe they're stumbling around in the dark. But in their heart, they, they want change. They want to be free. They want something better in life. But they hide it behind this hard exterior, and unless you see the crack of light, then you don't. You have no idea if you follow what I'm saying. And so there's there's that. But let me just take this type of, of thinking, and let, let's just continue with it just a little bit. So I'm I'm moving on in the um, Gospel of Matthew. Let's look at some of these uh, verses. They're very well known. And uh, if, if you're new to this, I mean, you're hearing this for the first or second time, or under a dozen times, I just want to give you something to think about with, with these scripture verses. So Matthew 18, 19, it says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as to touching anything. So the two of you could be whosoever, right? I mean, if two of you on earth agree as to touching anything, so what would be left out of anything? Some things? You see, what we do is we see scriptures like this and they are like open-ended. It would be the equivalent of a very wealthy person 
handing you a check, signing their name, endorsing it, right? And then putting your name in the pay to order of section and then leaving the dollar amount blank, handing it to you and telling you if you need anything, here's, here's a blank check. And so maybe depending on your personality, maybe you say, well, you know, I know we're struggling, but we're really not struggling that much. So I really don't want to go ahead and write out a check right now. Or maybe you need new furniture. How much does new furniture cost? Maybe you need a new couch or something like that. So you go to the store and you, you find, maybe you go to a store where you find like um, a whole room full of furniture. You see a whole design laid out there. And you you look at the price tag. You ask about the price tag for it. And there's lamps and everything. And <clears throat> you can totally redo one of the rooms in your home with it. And you think, oh, you know, I'd love to. I mean, the couch has holes in it. It's all worn. doesn't look nice. I'd like to get new furniture. But you know what? If I use this for the furniture, then maybe I should save it for the mattress. You know, maybe I should. And so you don't really do any of it. You know, you just keep that that check tucked away for a rainy day. That's kind of like the servant in the Bible that talks about the the king had three servants and he he gave talents to one of them. Let me let me uh, let's look that up quickly. Okay, that'd be about Matthew again, chapter twenty five. Matthew chapter uh, 25, right around the 14th verse. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country, he called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Well, you know, God's promises in these promises here in the Bible are like his goods. This information that Jesus is giving. If any two of you on earth shall agree. Could you imagine going into heaven? It's after the judgment. You're, at, you're with friends, you're with family again, you're with those who, who passed on in Christ. It's a new age has come. So you get to talking to one another and, and you say, you know, I wonder why so-and-so died young. Uh, let's ask Jesus about that. And you ask Jesus why that particular person died young. And he tells you that, well, you could have just used Matthew eighteen nineteen. You could have agreed on earth that a miraculous healing was going to occur in his body. You could have said amen and believed it on earth to any two of you as to touching anything. And then that word anything suddenly springs out. Anything included your cousin. It included your mom. It included your business. All you had to do was find one person to agree with. And then you, you would say, almost probably incredulously, you'd probably look at him and say, you mean that that whole problem existed and everything, and, and the answer was there the whole time? And he would say, yeah, absolutely. You can see that why the people that teach the Bible will be judged under a stricter, harsher measure than others will, because it's their job to get the truth out there. The Bible says there's not many among you that ought to be teachers. But what do we have today? We have quite a few teachers. Knowing that teachers will receive the stricter judgment you know, we've taken words like whosoever and whatsoever, 
let me look at, let's look at, um, well, let me not get off on this too much. Let's go back to that. He gave one five talents, another two, and to another one, every man, according to his ability, took his journey. And then, you know, the story he comes back and the guy that had the five talents doubled it and he was rewarded. The guy that had three doubled it and he was, or two doubled it and he was rewarded. But the guy that had one just like took that blank check and just hit it. I'm not even telling you that you have to deposit that check on your own circumstances. But we have an entire checkbook with endless numbers of checks in the form of God's promises, praying, and believing. You know, the other day, it occurred to me, I was um, praying for somebody, and I, I just felt this feeling of, um, I don't even know how I can describe it to you, unhappiness, um loss of hope, discouragement, uh, troubled thoughts about them. And I had prayed for them, and I had done what the Bible said, laid hands on them, and they seemed to improve a bit, and then they went the opposite way. And this happened so much in the past that I actually got to the point once where I didn't even want to bother praying for anybody anymore because I figured, why bother? I mean, prayer for other people at one point in my life seemed like I was playing a lottery. And I've never won the lottery in my life. And up until that point, I've never really in a spectacular way won the prayer lottery, as it were, um, for somebody else. And so uh, I became discouraged about it. And then I suddenly learned um, by being led by the Lord. I wish I could say there's a book that I could give you beside the Bible, you know, because here's the thing. The, the revelation comes from the Holy Spirit to your spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come. He would take of his and he would show it unto us and he would show us things to come. But that's not the way the world works. The world works is we rely on people that we perceive no more than us, people that have more experiences and things like that. And I got to ask you, just honestly, just between the two of us, where has relying on other people's expertise really got you in your life? I got to say, me personally, I've been disappointed by it. Maybe it's wrong perception. Maybe because of things like marketing and advertising, maybe that's what caused me to one time believe that if somebody else would have the reins, if somebody else could make decisions for me, I would make better choices. If somebody else could look at my situation beside me, I'm not saying that you can't get wisdom from other people, but can you get direction, really? I mean, if God isn't specifically, consciously choosing to use that person, you just go to somebody just because they've been doing something for a long time or whatever. I mean, the help that they give you, does it always measure up or does it usually measure up or does it ever measure up to what you thought it would measure up to be? Are you following what I'm saying? I'm getting this out there the, the clearest that I can. I apologize if it's not clear enough, but what I'm saying is that when you look to other people for help, sometimes it's disappointing, especially when you're looking for specific answers to complex questions or at least questions that are complex to you. Sometimes I think the best help you get is when people just give you principles and then you have to go and take them and work them out on your own. I'm not talking about on your own, like without God or without the Holy Spirit or, or that, but what I'm saying is is that you're not relying on, on another person for the yay or the nay. You're looking at your heart, and when your heart tells you that this is what you're going to do, you realize that, you know what? I'm going to go ahead or I'm not going to go ahead based on what's in my heart right now. This is what I think is in there. To the best of my ability, this is the best choice I know how to make at this time. 
I can second guess this forever, but I've got to make a choice. And Lord, this is the choice that I make based on what I believe you're showing me. I know that God honors that kind of honesty and that kind of humility because it's the acknowledging that, you know, I recognize my own shortcomings and weaknesses, but I also know I have a responsibility to not just sit here and do nothing. This is the best course of action that I can perceive at this point in my life and at this point in my growth, and I'm going with it. And see, so it was like along those lines that I started learning. Now, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away in Matthew 24, 35. So when people ask, well, you know, this scripture isn't for today, or that was just for the people living then. You know what? Those words are for all who believe. You see, the God, we make distinctions. We, uh, we distinct, make distinctions of based on, we look at somebody maybe and say, well, these were the apostles, or those were the prophets, or this person God has used mightily in our time, and, and we make distinctions based on that. But God doesn't look at any of the outward things. Right, because Jesus, he sends his rain down, the Bible says, upon the just and the unjust. And he knows the inner secret thoughts of a person's heart. And so he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. There's only a new creation in Christ Jesus. And some of those new creations have more responsibility than others. But we've been called, we've been chosen. Jesus said we didn't choose him, he first chose us. Right? He, choo- he chooses us. That's why we choose him. Now, we could debate that. We can fuss with it. We can uh, analyze under a microscope. The bottom line is we will not fully understand that in all its conceptual ways on this side of eternity. So I want to focus on the things that the Bible tells me to focus on, which are namely three things, faith, hope, and love. All of those things I want to inspire in other people. And hopefully I'm inspiring in you. Now, the knowledge is another thing. People exalt the knowledge, but at the end, the knowledge doesn't seem to work the way you think it's going to work without help. So listen to this verse. This is from Matthew chapter 21. Um, Verily I say unto you, this is Matthew 21, 21, if you have faith and doubt not, If you have faith and doubt not, well, you do have faith as a believer. That's why you're called a believer. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. You can't believe in Jesus without faith, right? So if you have faith, so you've got that down, and doubt not, you shall not only do which is done to this fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast and see, it shall be done. Now listen to this. And all things, and all things, and all things, whatsoever ye ask, whatsoever you ask, whatsoever. No, now, what does whatsoever and all things exclude? They don't exclude anything. Right? Now, here's the thing. We can't have faith unless we hear it first. In other words, you can't have faith that somebody will help you unless certain things take place first. So if, if I say to you, um, if you're ever in need, here's my phone number, here's my email, just co- contact me, right? So if something bad happens, you remember I made you that, I said those words to you, I heard that you heard those words, then hope comes, right? Possibly faith comes if you know me, you know, well, if we know each other, if we have a re- relationship. 
But your faith is only based on what your your you know my ability is or isn't, right? So we know that it's God that provides the actual thing. It's God that makes the whole thing work. The Bible says he watches over his word to perform it. God performs it. God makes the thing come to pass. But we look at these all things, and, and because people have had failure in prayer, and that failure is based because of doubt, right? Unbelief keeps God's perfect will from coming to pass in people's lives. We know that. If you don't know that, then you have to read the Gospels for yourself, and you'll find out that Jesus couldn't do any mighty works in his hometown because of their unbelief. Jesus, the Son of God, called by God, given the Spirit without measure, couldn't do mighty works in his hometown. He could do some things, but he couldn't do really mighty works because of their unbelief. And so... If Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and if you have faith and doubt not, then all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now, I heard this testimony recently, and this man said that he, would, he, is, he had been pastoring quite a number of years. He passed on now, but this is back in the 70s, and he had sugar diabetes, and he had been taking insulin for 30 years. And so... He heard these verses preached for years, but he said that it never really occurred to him until one day, and this is how the Holy Spirit works, it suddenly occurred to him. Now, it didn't occur to him because suddenly he had knowledge that wasn't there before. There weren't any secrets revealed that you couldn't find in the Bible. It was all there. It's just that his heart was shut to that all things and that whatsoever. Now, let me give you another example of this, and I'm not going to forget about this story. I'm going to keep on going with it, but let me just read these open-ended promises again. Mark 11:23 says, Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, you know, it's the same verse, just word a little differently, he shall have whatsoever he says. So whosoever can have whatsoever if they believe. And then it says in, in Mark 11:24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Now, some people will put the brakes on. They'll say, well, that's only what things soever God desires for you. But it doesn't say that there. So if you're a believer, you have a new heart. Yet you still have the old thoughts and memories and things like that. But you know the difference between good and evil. You know the difference between right and wrong. You know the difference between lust and not. And if you don't know, you can ask God and he'll show you. Because you know that the only things that you can see here in the Bible that keep prayer from producing results is doubt and unbelief, unforgiveness, and asking for evil things based on lust. That's what it says in the book of James. Evil desires aren't granted by God. Right? And don't get philosophical, say, oh, we don't know the difference between good and evil. Yeah, you know by the fruit. Right? I heard somebody say to me once, well, I'm asking for a $20,000 car. Somebody says, well, I think that I should ask for a $30,000 car. And somebody should come along and say, well, shouldn't you be happy with a bicycle? Well, here's the thing. It's not the things that go into a man that corrupt him. Jesus said it's the things that come out of the heart. It all depends on your heart. You know, 
That's why God judges us as individuals, not corporately. Because we each have the choice of controlling our heart, so to speak, or hardening our heart. It's really easy to harden your heart. All you have to do is just keep on taking in what's happening around you and just don't acknowledge God, don't pray, don't have your mind renewed for a few days and your heart gets hard relative to some things. What I mean, here's, a, here's an example of a hard heart. You hear something bad happening and there, the expectancy of God intervening is in your mind very slim, right? Because if it wasn't very slim, you'd be very excited when you heard that there was something bad that happened because you can invoke the name of Jesus. You could pray the prayer of faith and it would change that situation and you'd be in it, right? But, but a hardened heart says, well, God probably won't intervene, so let's just start with plan B, <laughs> you know, and then we'll play the we'll we'll play the prayer lottery, and maybe something will happen. I know because I've been there myself. So anyway, let's get back to that story. So the man said to himself, and this was the person with the sugar diabetes. He was a pastor. He says, "You know, it suddenly occurred to me where I was making a mistake." He says, "I'm trying to have it, my healing, and then I'm going to believe." See, a lot of people, and we've all been there before, we try to have the answer. We hear these exceeding and precious promises that are in the Bible, that are left for us. And hope comes. And we hear about faith, and so we try to believe. And all we're doing is a mental exercise, right? It's kind of like, Lord, just give me the instructions on how to get from point A to point B, and I've got it. Whereas true faith is, Lord, here are the, here are the instructions, but I want you to walk with me on this journey. I don't want to do it alone. Do you see the difference? One is knowing exactly what to do and then going out and doing it on your own. The other is knowing what to do but needing Jesus to be up by your side every step of the way and your heart is open to that. That's the difference. It's a major difference. So this pastor said, I'm, I'm trying to not need insulin and then I'm going to believe I'm healed. I can see the opposite has to be true. I have to believe I'm healed first, and then I'll have it. And so every day, he would take his insulin the same way. He would get up and he would go early in the morning into the um, church. It was empty. And he would pray. One of the things he would pray for beside the congregation or, or himself or his family or things that he had heard about in the news or whatever he would say these words, something to this effect. He said he would say, Lord, I, I thank you that I have my healing from sugar diabetes. He would thank the Lord that he was healed of his sugar diabetes. I believe I have it. So he wasn't trying to feel like he had it. He wasn't trying to will it into, into being. He just said, I believe I receive it. I believe I receive it. I believe I receive my healing. And then, because his body needed the insulin outwardly, he would take his shot. And so he did this, if I remember correctly, and, and I know this is, um, this is a, just a, a guesstimate, I would say I'm 90% sure it was about a year later. Maybe it was around 11 months, maybe it was 13 months, somewhere in there, you get the idea. But he was driving, and a bee got in the car. And it got behind his glasses. 
and he lost control of the car and wound up hitting a tree and they didn't have seat belts in those in those days in all the cars and he came forward hit the steering wheel bounced off and people saw the accident and they came they took him to the hospital and the doctor that examined him knew him and when they ran tests on him he said to him are you you're not are you still taking you're not taking insulin are you and he said yeah, why? He said, well, according to this test that we just did, you don't need it. We just did these tests. You don't, you don't need insulin. He said, stop taking your insulin tomorrow. And so he did. And then 20 years passed. <laughs> and he was in his 70s when he was giving this testimony. But he never he never needed insulin again. And so he simply did what the Bible said. He, he said outwardly, I believe I receive. I believe I receive. I believe I receive. And the, and the you shall have a part, he didn't try to make that work. In other words, he wasn't trying to use his faith like a hammer and hammer a nail in. He just said what the Bible said. The Bible says, believe you receive it and you will have it. When does the habit happen? After you believe you received it. So he simply repeated those words, I believe I receive it. I believe I receive it. He did that for a year and gradually, I guess it just changed his body, or maybe it happened all of a sudden on that day. I, I don't know. But I do know this. Um, I heard a similar testimony from a man who, who heard this, and he had a double hernia. And he had these hernia belts that he, he put on in, in the morning, and he was older. He didn't want to get operated on again. You know, people that have hernias, sometimes they have to go through this operation several times because the hernia returns. And so... He uh, would get up in the morning and say every morning, Lord, I thank you. I believe I receive my healing. I believe I receive my healing. I believe I receive my healing for, you know, for the hernia. That's what, he, that's what he was thanking God for. Thank you, Lord. I believe I receive it. Very simple. A child could do that. You could tell a child after you pray to wake up every morning and say, I believe I receive it. And you could do this for other people too. I believe they receive it. Now, they do have something to do with it, because if they didn't, we could just pray that everybody would become a believer and just go person by person by person, you know. I heard one person did this for a man for like 30 years, and the guy got became a believer the day on, when the guy was on his deathbed, the guy who was praying and believing. So, but, but here's the thing. We have to, after you pray, your words, what you say can negate the foundation that you laid while you prayed. In other words, I've heard people do things like this before. They, you know, they pray for somebody and and the person has some improvement and they have some improvement and, and, and the person stops, you know, basically praying and, and they hear a week or two later or a month later or some time later that the condition is back again. They get discouraged and they pray, oh, Lord, you know, touch so-and-so again. Well, you know, when you pray for somebody to get healed, I, I look at it like this. If you have a cut and you're healed, that means everything is gone, including the scab. In other words, there's no trace of it. When Jesus healed people, they were healed. They weren't partially healed. One man he laid hands on who was blind, and he asked him what he could see. And he said he could see men like trees walking. And then he touched him again, and it completed the miracle. So in other words, nobody left. The idea was getting a person to 100%, not 40%, not 20%. 
So when you pray that somebody get healed, you don't mean 10%, you know, but sometimes we lower our expectations because we base our believing on what we've experienced in the past. And by doing that, you'll always have small faith, but you got to base your, your believing on what the Bible says. And even if you failed in the past, I remember this person who prayed for the sick, said they prayed for the sick for years and not one person got, uh, got well. And matter of fact, a good majority of them got either worse or died. And they laughed about it, thinking back, looking back on it. But they said one day something happened where they finally saw what it said in the Bible to do, that the pressure wasn't on their prayer. You know, sometimes people think, if I don't pray right, well, see, that's taking God out of the equation again. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I have to believe that his prayers for me, because he says he ever lives to make intercession for us, are also working. I have no doubt that Jesus is praying for you to grow and to believe and to become strong in faith, right? And he wants you to learn how to rely on him. He wants you to know that the Father loves you as much as he does. There's no strained relationship there where God is trying, it has to be talked down from, from striking you down with lightning by Jesus every other day because you keep messing up. And some people see the Father that way. Matter of fact, the, the disciples, the original 12 in the Gospel of John, basically said the same thing. They said, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and, and you know, I think it was Philip that that's basically said, Lord, just show us the Father and that'll be sufficient. But they didn't believe in their hearts that the Father was just like Jesus. They didn't believe in their hearts that the Father was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself. All these things that we find out as we continue to read in the Bible. So they saw God as this harsh judge. They didn't see mercy and grace. They didn't see love and faith. They got into it a little bit, you know, and they had mixed results also. But then their results increased greatly in the book of Acts. Why? Because they received the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit probably opened their heart to the point where they thought, wow, I walked and talked with the Son of God. I saw him do these things and... I saw his, I was there talking to the resurrected Jesus. I actually touched his hand. We actually ate with him. We actually saw as he passed through the wall. You know, when you see those things, you don't have to really have faith that the event happened because you see it. So now we are on the other side of that where Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So he said to Thomas, you believe because you've actually touched my hand, right? So if Jesus appeared to you today, <clears throat> touch your hand. Now your faith can be based on, ex and touched you or you touched him, your faith can now be based on personal experience. Right? And so sometimes we have small personal experiences. They're based on what we read in the Bible. They're based on what we've heard. They're based on the faith that we have at this point in our lives. But those small experiences, that that's not the sum total of God. That's just, <clears throat> excuse me, that's scratching the surface. All things, and all things, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing. So what, what's that all things to you today? Does all things include your health? Does it include your mortgage? Does it include your bills or your car or your business? Does it include your brother or your sister, your mom or your dad? Does it include a grandparent? See now this this is what I this is what I how I've learned 
to approach situations for other people. I don't know what God has for anybody else. But you know what? I'm going to start my believing all the way at the top, not at the bottom. I'm going to believe for the very best. I'm going to shoot for the moon, so to speak, as that saying goes. Right? I don't care if the person is old. They don't have to die rotting away in a hospital bed or in a uh, nursing home. Let God heal them, and then one day let them close their eyes and not open it again. I mean, think about... Um, the Bible talks about glorifying God by, the, by death also. When Peter laid down his life. Paul, a lot of the, the apostles did. I, I think that just like Jesus said, he said, no one takes my life from me. I believe that those original uh, apostles were the same way. They knew when their course was completed and they laid down their lives for their friends at that time. They laid their lives down as a final testimony, and they said there was a reward for those who were martyred. It's different laying down your life than going kicking and screaming. And according to the old ancient writings, none of these people went kicking and screaming. Right? They died in faith, in believing, right down to the last breath. So that, that, that's how I look at it. That's how I think. Now, it's out there. Just like salvation's out there, but some people never get it. It's all out there. It's all available. It's all free. It's already been paid for. You already got those blank checks. Isn't it time you start filling them out? Even if you did it on a, starting with something small, get the experience. Once you have an experience, nobody can take it away from you. People can argue about it. But when I, when I received different healings in my lifetime and different things came to pass, you know, I tell people and they look at me like I'm, I'm crazy. You know, um, seeing the dead raised and being there yourself and seeing it when a body doesn't have any life in it and it comes back again, no one can take that away from you when you see that. You know, people can argue with it, but you know, people get argumentative when their beliefs are challenged or when their beliefs are on shaky ground. You know, But look at it this way. You know, I don't believe in Santa Claus. So you can sit there and pound, it and pound a book and say, I have proof that Santa Claus exists. He lives in the North Pole. I have absolute proof that he's still making toys today. I'm not going to get upset and argue about it. I just walk away. Do you ever wonder why Jesus didn't debate anybody? He just walked away, right? The only people he debated were in the synagogue, and it was a very short debate. They couldn't answer him because some things just can't be answered. You either believe it or you don't believe it. Okay, so that's all I have for you today. Thanks for listening. I'm not even sure how long I was talking for, but it's good to be back. Maybe like 40 minutes, 45 minutes. If you want some more information, again, please visit the main website at faithtestedbyfire.com. This is Jim. Have a great week. God bless you, and I will talk to you soon.